Well, as we start this morning, I'd like to start off by taking you back in time maybe and inviting you to imagine yourself being Paul in the epistle reading today. You're in a prison cell 200 years ago in Rome. The common prison cells were um, abandoned water cisterns, cisterns that had been dug in the ground to hold water, but they didn't hold water, so they were turned into prison cells. I've actually seen one of these in Israel. It's an abandoned well, an abandoned cistern, a deep cave dug into the ground. It's got a small hole in the roof where some light comes through, but it's damp and it's mostly dark and it's cold, and you probably sit huddled against the wall to conserve your body heat, maybe even in chains, although it's impossible to climb out. And you know that your execution is now a mere formality. It may have already been scheduled. And it makes you think, how does this happen to me? Jesus said that the good news he brought was going to spread to the ends of the earth, and then he said he was going to be coming back. Maybe you think, have I been deluded all along? Sure, you'd planted churches, but you keep hearing news that the heretics keep showing up and leading them astray. And sure, you'd set up leaders, but now many of them have abandoned you. Later in this book, Paul will name two of them who just walked away from him. And you always planned to carry the gospel at least in one direction to as far as he knew the ends of the earth. He had a planned a mission trip to Spain. And how is that going to happen now? How can you even be your Savior's witness when you're trapped in a cell? And as you sit there huddled against the wall thinking about these things, maybe the temptation to despair and to view your life as a failure becomes overwhelming. Disappointment is common in relationships, and that's true even with relationships with God. We saw that in our Old Testament reading this morning. Habakkuk does that thing that we always feel guilty about doing but should feel welcome to doing. He's honest in his prayers. And he says, God... Are you paying attention? You've got a great viewpoint from up there. Don't you see what's going on around here? Disappointment. Well, Paul certainly felt lonely. You'd be thinking, where where are my friends? Maybe you haven't seen anyone in days or weeks or months, and really, how do you keep track of time in a place like that? But then you'd hear a noise above your head, and somebody's standing in the entrance way, and one way or the other is lowered down to where you are, and it's your friend Onesphorus. I practiced that all yesterday afternoon. <laughs> Onesphorus drops down to see you. How do he find you? We don't know the details, but in the next two verses after our passage, Paul says, Onesphorus has left his own home and come to Rome. He'd heard Paul was in prison, and he's trying to find, where's my friend Paul? And finally, he finds him. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. How would he, how it had, how would Onesphorus found Paul, well, we don't know the details, but somehow he's been, he's he's arranged to visit Paul in prison. And so you greet each other with hugs and you exchange greetings and express surprise at seeing your friend. And eventually, Anesphorus produces a tablet and a pen 
and he asks you if he can write a letter for you as you dictate it. And he sits there maybe in the beam of light coming down from the ceiling so he can see where he's writing and he says, what would you like me to write? And despite all the disappointment and the despair, somehow miraculously Paul determines that God is speaking to him and God gives him an eternal perspective on his situation. And he says to Onesiphorus, I want you to write a letter to my friend Timothy. And he starts the letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul begins to praise God. The promise of life in Christ Jesus, writes this man who is sitting in a prison cell awaiting his execution. He's staring death in the face and the Lord has brought to mind the definition of the gospel is the promise of life in Jesus Christ. And knowing that you've got maybe only one last chance to get a message out. Again, he, he writes to his protege, Timothy, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace is the message that comes from this man in prison. And the Lord begins to crystallize in Paul's mind what he needs to pass on to Timothy, to be faithful to the gospel Be faithful to the gospel, whatever happens. Be faithful to the gospel and pass it on to others. Well, I hope you'll tolerate some of my artistic license there and picturing for you a scene to give you some idea of the background to this letter. Here we have probably Paul's last letter, certainly the last letter we have from Paul in Scripture at least. And Paul gives several admonitions to Timothy. He gives him orders and commands. Those with more time on their hands than I do tell me there are 27 commands in this short little book we'll be reading over the course of the next few Sundays. And it might sound at first like, Paul, what are you doing? Going back to the law and giving us 27 more commands? But for each of these commands, there's the promise of grace. The gospel accompanies these commands. And one of the commands that sticks out to me in this passage is to guard the gospel by following the pattern of sound apostolic teaching in verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We're commanded to guard the good deposit by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and there is God's grace. Presbyterian pastor and scholar Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, The Good News We Almost Forgot. And he starts off, the only thing more difficult than finding the truth is not losing it. What starts out as new and precious becomes plain and old. What begins the thrilling discovery becomes a rote exercise. What provokes one generation to sacrifice and passion becomes in the next generation a cause for rebellion and apathy. Why is it, he asked, that denominations and church movements almost always drift from their theological moorings? No doubt, the church in the West has many things to learn. But for the most part, everything we need to learn is what we've already forgotten. The the chief theological task now facing the Western church is not to reinvent or to be relevant, but to remember. We must remember the faith once delivered to the saints. 
And Pastor DeYoung there is doing exactly what Paul commanded Timothy to do. He's pointing his readers back to the pattern of sound apostolic teaching. You see, to live out the gospel faithfully, we need to recognize that gospel ministry is first and foremost not a matter, it is a matter of stewardship. We've been entrusted with the gospel. So those who teach the Bible need to be warned against the temptation to always come up with new angles or some revolutionary new method or a new program of discipleship. And we need to be wary of following leaders and writers who promote new doctrines or modify old doctrines. Our task is not to reinvent nor even to be relevant, but to remember, to remember the sound words that have come down to us, to follow them and to guard them. And in this context, Paul gives four instructions to fan and to flame your gift, to not be ashamed of the gospel, to share in suffering, and to guard the gospel by following sound words. Now, again, you could look at that long list of commands and think it's all about our effort that now we're being dragged back into the law. Well, if that's the case, take a look at verse 7. Paul writes, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And in verse 14, again, he tells us to do these things by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Most of all, though, take comfort in verses 9 and 10. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're not called to a holy calling because of our works or our ability to do the work, but because of God's own purpose and grace. And certainly our eternal salvation does not depend on how well we do them. Paul doesn't just issue instructions here. He doesn't also, also doesn't just give us the grace of the Holy Spirit, but he teaches by example too. In verse three he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And in verse four, Paul encourages Timothy. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And in verse six, Paul guides He writes, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And again, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. And if we're going to faithfully disciple others with the gospel that we're guarding, then we need to do the things too. We need to be praying, being praying regularly for people as they come to our minds. We need to be encouraging Take a look at somebody in this congregation. You know what? They're probably not getting as much encouragement as they need. Because maybe none of us get as much encouragement as we need. We're not that good at giving encouragement. But when that person comes to mind, pray for them and maybe reach out to them. Just a quick word of encouragement. You came to mind this afternoon. I want to encourage you in what you're doing. I know relationships are difficult and tricky and all that kind of thing. But it's important, just a simple, keep, 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 keep going with it. Keep doing it. Can be encouraging. And then we also need to be guiding. 
setting an example of living our lives rooted in the sound words that we daily read and hear in Scripture. You know, I love being in a church that intentionally mixes up the generations occasionally. That word multi-generational sounds like more marketing business, but there's something about that. And um, you older men and women seek out the younger ones and invest time and energy in them. You've got a lot to give. You've had experiences that you can guide the youngers. And you younger men and women, don't let the arrogance or naivety of youth, I remember those things very well, blind you to the fact that you need the help and support of older Christians. And if you're like me and sometimes you feel young and sometimes you feel old, well then do both. (laughs) And then guard the gospel. Timothy has been given this precious gospel but is under attack by false teachers. This letter is not just for Timothy, it's also for the church. It's not just Timothy's job to defend the gospel. It's not just clergy's job to defend the gospel. It's a job for all of God's people. Paul writes, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Timothy is to keep the pattern of sound teaching that he heard from Paul. Paul's teaching is to be Timothy's model, his standard, a pattern. It didn't mean Timothy had to sound the same as Paul, but that the components of the gospel have to be the same. Timothy has no authority to change the gospel. I've got a computer at work, and every once in a while I try to download a program or do something like that, and a little screen pops up and says, not authorized to do this. Well, who are you to tell me I'm not authorized? Well, I guess they're right. The IT people said, I don't have the authority to do that. Well, in a similar way, Timothy has no authority to change the gospel. If he tries to change the gospel, there should be a little pop-up window that pops up and says, not authorized to change the gospel. It's been passed down from the apostles and it has been given to them by God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have authority to change the model of the gospel we've been given. We can't. It simply isn't ours to change. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of us. There's a lot of pressure to relabel what sin is, to be silent on judgment, or to change our vision of what living with Jesus as our Lord means. Because what the Bible says doesn't always fit in with what society says. And what the Bible says doesn't always fit in with what our political parties tell us. But Paul's teaching takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to figure out how to change the gospel to fit into society because it's not our message to change. The gospel is to be our model in preaching in caring for the ill and the poor, in our community groups, at life on the porch, in our children and youth ministry, in our singing, in our service. The gospel that came to us from the apostles is to be our model, it's to be our pattern. So let me encourage you to keep a Bible open as you receive teaching here at Servants. Keep checking what we're teaching. Does it fit in with scripture? Right after the sermon comes the creed. That's there on purpose. You've just heard the sermon, now you get the creed, do they match up? If I get up some Sunday and say, can you imagine how wonderful it was when God created Jesus and said, you're the most powerful of all the angels. Can you imagine how wonderful that must have been to, can you imagine? Then you get to the creed, you say, wait a second. That's not it at all. And please pray for those of us in the congregation who teach and preach that we would keep and guard the gospel. 
And when you move on, <clears throat> Emily, <clears throat> when you move on from servants, then find a church that teaches the same gospel you've heard. If you're considering moving and know Gainesville is a constantly transforming community, when you think about moving, think about what church you will go to. I'll just tell you, if you have a choice between the jobs in two different cities and one city has a solid gospel church and the other one doesn't, either get a call for church planting or go to the, church, the city that's got the good church. I can't tell you how many people I've seen who've moved, not found a church, and just drifted away. Well, notice, too, that Paul describes his teaching as sound. And that word sound means healthy. Paul's gospel is healthy. It's good for those who hear it. So, first of all, if we change the gospel, the message is no longer healthy. It's not good for those who hear it. But it's healthy to hear the gospel. You know, sometimes it bothers me that I don't remember sermons. Do you remember what the sermon was four weeks ago? Do you even remember who preached four weeks ago? I don't even remember. It might have been me. I don't remember. But you know what? That's okay. Because hearing the gospel preached is healthy. It strengthens you. It feeds you. And if you don't remember a particular sermon, it's okay. You were fed. You probably don't remember what you ate for dinner four weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon. It doesn't matter because you were fed. That food you ate went into providing substance for your body. And the constant hearing of the gospel is healthy for you. So tell the gospel. Think about the gospel. It's healthy. Get to know it because it's healthy. And there are also, just like in Timothy's days, counterfeit gospels around. There are people who want to steal the treasure that you've been entrusted with. Keep reminding yourself what the gospel is so that you know how to spot the counterfeits. And you might be thinking, it sounds like a lot of responsibility to guard the gospel. Well, it is because it's a priceless treasure. But Paul reassures Timothy and he reassures us, don't panic. Why? Because again, the Holy Spirit is the one who guards it. Guard it from verse 14. Guard it by the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're not guarding the gospel alone. The church is to guard the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's that look like? Well, the Spirit enables us to see the beauty of the gospel, to understand the gospel. The Spirit enables us to put faith in the gospel from the first day that we decide to follow Jesus and every day after that. The Spirit empowers us to understand the gospel. The Spirit moves you to pray for those who preach and teach in the church. The Spirit helps you tell the gospel to the kids in children's church. The Spirit enables you to gently correct someone who has the wrong gospel because the Holy Spirit is on the church's side because God himself is the ultimate guardian of the gospel. As tough as things get, God will not allow the light of the gospel to be snuffed out. But it is our job in the power of the Holy Spirit to guard the gospel. But we can be confident that the Spirit enables us to do that. And when we grasp the priceless value of the gospel, then we understand that we won't be ashamed of it. We'll even be willing to suffer for it because guarding something as treasurable as the gospel comes at a cost. 
there's always a risk of attack. So whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, there's encouragement here. Guard the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. These are challenges, but there's also great encouragement. The Holy Spirit is there to guard the gospel. I urge you to go home this afternoon and and read 1 Timothy again. Meditate at the start of this next week. It won't take you long. You can read 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 in 2 minutes and 56 seconds. That's how fast it takes Johnny Cash to read it on YouTube. And Johnny Cash talks slow. Take another look at them and, and, and think, think through those, the, the charges that Paul is giving us. And then remember that ultimately it's God who guarantees his gospel. He takes responsibility for preserving it. We may look around us today and see the gospel being ridiculed and in many countries oppressed. We may feel increasingly like a shameful minority with our backs up against the wall. We may despair at the increasingly unbiblical beliefs that are creeping into churches across the country. There may come a time when we, like Paul, face imprisonment for our loyalty to Jesus and to the gospel that Jesus brought to us. But we do not need to be afraid and we do not need to be ashamed as we guard the gospel and guard these sound words because God has promised that he'll never allow the flame of divine truth to be extinguished. Keep guarding the gospel. Hold it precious. In Jesus' name, amen.